welcome to another episode of the Negative Positives Podcast. And now, coming to you live out of the Gutter Man Cave in beautiful Louisville, Kentucky. He likes his bourbon almost as much as he likes his Pentax. It's your host, Mike Gutterman. Hello and welcome to the Negative Positives Podcast, episode number 240. I am your host, Mike Gutterman, coming to you from the Gutterman Cave here in Louisville, Kentucky. And this is the midweek solo show. You just got me tonight. And uh, I've had a I got a lot to get to. This is probably not going to be a short one as usual. So, uh, first of all, let's talk about what happened in the mail. What happened with the packages that arrived to the Gutterman estate this uh, over the last week, and got some really cool stuff. And so, first of all, uh, I had been in conversation. I talked about on an episode how I wanted to start shooting Super Eight movie film, and uh, particularly for my Florida trip coming up. And so I reached out to, uh, you know, probably the champion of Super 8, Mr. Michael Rosso from the Film Photography Project, the FPP, and uh, kind of had some conversation with him. And uh, so we uh, worked out a deal, and I bought a couple of uh, cartridges of film from him, uh, some Kodak 50D that I'm going to shoot down in Florida. I bought two uh, cartridges, uh, you know, so I have about six minutes of uh, Super 8 footage to shoot on my vacation. Uh, so, and Mike... Uh, kind of hooked me up with a, uh, well, definitely hooked me up with a, a camera, a, uh, uh, what is it, a GAF, a GAF, Anscomatic, I think it's an ST87, I believe it is, uh, super cool looking camera, so I'm like super pumped to uh, try Super 8, super pumped for Super 8 uh, for my Florida trip coming up this summer, my first uh, time shooting movie films, uh, documenting uh, family moments on film, a movie film, so I, I'm I just uh, think think it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be something that we'll we'll cherish, you know, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, plus the camera just looks badass. So, <laughs> and then also uh, Eric o- O'Hara, who was a Coco captain, a very chocolatey Coco captain, uh, filling in for Andre Dominguez. I think it was on the show that we had Dan Novak on. Uh, he ran into a, a kind of a, a hell of a deal on a bunch of cameras, and. Uh, probably more cameras than he needed, so he reached out to me and uh, and kind of paid it forward. His good luck kind of gave me some good luck by offering me a, a stellar deal on a uh, Pentax Spotmatic. So I definitely took him up on that. So I received from Eric O'Hara a Pentax Spotmatic with a 55mm uh, f1.8 uh, lens. So uh, I finally have fulfilled the uh, hole in my Pentax collection. Collection. I finally have a Spotmatic, so everyone can stop uh, bugging me about the fact that I can't believe you love Pentax, Mike, and you don't have a Spotmatic. Uh, I do now. So uh, uh, my pretty much my collection of Pentax, the working man's camera, by the way, uh, is probably uh, is, is pretty well set now. So I've got all kind of my favorite models. The only one I don't have is the LX, which maybe one day. But um, the LX is, a, is an awesome camera. I used to have one, but I sold it because I was worried about it running into issues later on down the road because uh, they are at an age where uh, if certain things go wrong with them, their parts are no longer available. And uh, uh, there's a lot of weather seals in that camera. You can actually uh, shoot in the rain in that camera because it's all weather sealed. And it was a pro body camera back in the day. And Pentax made them, made them for a lot of years. But uh, they do uh, at, are at a point now where when something goes bad, it's kind of hard to... Uh, get parts to fix them and the CLA on them is, is quite expensive because of the uh, all the weather sealing uh, that's inside those cameras so it makes a CLA pretty pretty uh, not really a cheap uh, cheap thing to do so uh, but yeah I'm pretty much covered on that but and uh, on top of all that there's another camera I've always wanted and I think I've mentioned it on the Facebook group uh, every time I see somebody get one I, I kind of uh, get a little jealous and uh uh, and that, and and this other little hole in my collection, something I've wanted for a long time, happened to arrive, and it it came from Roxana Angles, who was on the uh, show as a guest a couple weeks ago, and uh, she was an awesome guest, and uh, she just wanted to send a token of appreciation, I guess, for being on the show, which was completely unnecessary because Roxana was an awesome guest. It was actually it was our uh, pleasure to have her on the show. Uh, it was uh, we should be sending her a gift for coming on and being such an awesome guest, but uh, but she. Uh, uh, I guess couldn't be talked out of it, so so she sent uh, sent me a Kodak Retina 2C, uh, one of the German-made uh, 35 millimeter Kodaks. Probably some of the best uh, Kodak 35 millimeter cameras was the Retina series, and I've never had one. And you know me, I'm a huge Kodak fanboy, so uh, 
uh, just to get one of these in my collection is awesome and it's in real nice shape. The shutter speed seemed to be uh, pretty accurate and, and everything seems to be working uh, perfectly on it and I uh, can't wait to get out and shoot the Kodak Retina C uh, 2C. Uh, thank you so much Roxana for, for that. It was completely unnecessary. You don't have to send us a gift for being on the show. You were an awesome guest and I, I think everyone will agree with that. So, um, But definitely check out her on Instagram. Uh, it's Roxanalog. Uh, uh, she does great work. So um, again, thank you Roxana. Thank you, Michael Rosso. Thank you, Eric O'Hara. Just some awesome stuff happened in the last week uh, and kind of to my camera collection. So, uh, um, and then, uh, let's see, uh, I think it was, to, was it today? I received a package from Canada, Canada, uh, from Sherry Christensen. Uh, she sent me a uh, developing reel, a 35 millimeter or a Patterson developing reel, plastic reel that she wants me to convert to uh, APS because uh, I know how to convert uh plastic reels down to APS size so you can uh, uh, de home develop APS film. So I'm going to do that for her. And she uh, just kind of also threw in a couple rows of film, uh, Kodak Go 200. And she said, now, Mike, you got too much film. Uh, where's, her, where's her letter at? Let's see. Uh, let me see what this says. She says, uh, hey, Mike, thanks for helping me out with the APS reel. You're a great friend. Well, you're a great friend too, Sherry. So, uh, so I was thinking, what can I add in this box for you? You have lots of film. Uh, but then I thought I would throw in a couple a couple rows in. But they are not for you. They are for your sons. Take them out shooting. For you, I have included father and son time. A priceless gift. Stay positive and shoot some cool film photos. Sherry. And uh, she says, P.S. Sorry to hear about the loss of your father-in-law. Well, thank you, Sherry. Uh, and that's such, that's very cool. And she's right. I do have tons of film. And uh, But she's put in, she's included two rows of uh, Go, uh, Kodak Go 200. And, uh, it's, you know, I, I like it. She's uh, given me, not it's, the film's not for me. It's for my son. So she's, uh, the gift is father and son time. And that is a priceless gift. And uh, thank you, Sherry. After I get done recording this podcast, I am going to modify your reel to, uh, to accept APS film so you can home develop APS and, you know, uh, kind of uh, help uh, just just stoke the embers, the fire that this this APS revival, you know, it is the, the hottest trend in film photography has taken over the world by storm. So uh, uh, now you can definitely, not only Sherry's already kind of been shooting some APS from time to time, but now she can uh, develop it herself, which makes it super cheap, and she's definitely one of the cool kids. So thank you, Sherry Christensen, so much for... Uh, uh, for the uh, rolls for my sons, and uh, I'm more than happy to modify this reel for you to get you uh, get this APS revival just just turned up, you know. Is that what the kids say these days? Turned up, but uh, <laughs> so okay. So let's get to uh, some emails uh, that we've received. Uh, this one, uh, the first one, is from Ben Mills. Uh, he has <clears throat> a website, and his Instagram account is Hip Shoot Film. Hip Shoot Film. Uh, but also, if you go to this website, uh, which is just hipshootfilm.com, I believe it is, um, you can get in his film stock swap. So if you have some uh, film you're wanting to uh, kind of get rid of or trade to somebody uh, that might for some other type of film, that's not a bad site to go to. Check out film stock swap on hipshootfilm.com, and uh, you can uh, sign up to possibly trade film with some people uh, if you have some film you're wanting to unload and maybe pick up something else that you do want so a uh, very cool idea for a website but he writes in about I think one of my solo shows I was talking about some apps that I uh, started using to help keep uh, uh, you know kind of keep uh, track of what film I have and what cameras and stuff like that <coughs> excuse me so he um, uh, this is his email about that particular segment of that solo show he says uh, just listening to the latest show, Mike, analog film roll notebook is great. I've used it for a while. For me, it's quicker to use over the FilmPad app. Those are the two apps I was talking about. Uh, analog film roll notebook and FilmPad. Those are two free apps that you can get to kind of uh, keep track of what film is in what cameras. And you can do a lot of stuff with those. With those. But let's, see, let's go on and see what Ben uh, says here. It says, uh, FilmPad requires you to add your gear first and is quite slow to log your shots as, uh, as and when you take them if you're going to do that. But Analog Film Roll Notebook is ace, and you can even output a text document, CSV uh, file, so you can keep a hard log once you've wiped it off your phone, which is quite good to stick with your scanned photos, kind of like a, me a metadata dump for your analog photos. I'm not sure if it's cheating, but I used this app with Sean Nelson for the Double Exposure Challenge. I was first shooter, so logged all my exposures and wrote notes. I then sent it over to Sean, and he could get an idea of what I shot. 
So yeah, you might have been cheating a little bit, but that's that's just using technology. That's that's actually smart. So uh, I'll give you that. Um, he says I've attached the file below. I reformatted it to an Excel file so you can get an idea of what info it dumps. Ha ha ha! Dumps <laughs> out of the app. It's pretty cool as it logs. Ha ha ha! Logs. <laughs> Uh, seems that Ben has the same sense of humor that, that I do. <laughs> Very immature sense of humor, I guess. <laughs> but uh, It logs your location and stuff, too. Just wanted to say it's Ace, and I mainly use it for exactly the same thing you do, of knowing what row is in what camera, and if I pushed or pulled it. Ha ha ha, pulled it. <laughs> well, thank you, Ben Mills, from Hip Shoot Film on Instagram and on Twitter. And definitely uh, check out his website if you want to get involved in the film stock swap. Uh, so, okay. Uh, we had another email um, from uh, Paul Friday and uh, kind of about the same situation. Paul Friday says, Mike, who needs an app when we have electrical tape? It holds filters on too. Cheers, Paul Friday. And uh, Paul Friday has a website. Uh, it's FUP, I got to be careful how I say this, FUPDuckPhoto.wordpress.com. That's F-U-P-DuckPhoto.wordpress.com. FUPDuck photo.wordpress.com and uh, but he sent me that message I think before he actually listened to the uh, the, the podcast uh, so so he sends another message he says uh, sorry to hear about your father-in-law well thank you thank you Paul he says I fired off the previous email about labeling cameras based on the show notes before I had listened to the show I would not want to be insensitive also now I've heard you your use case is different your need is for planning my use of electrical tape is to avoid cock-ups. The tape moves from the camera to film container and then to the lid of the developing tank, mainly because I used to be a chemist, so I'm obsessive about labeling. Stay positive, Paul. That's Paul Friday. Well, thank you, Paul, so much for your thoughts on that. And and yeah, you know, you can uh, do the electrical th tape thing, uh, but I think I explained that I use the, uh, the app uh, because uh, sometimes I need to plan what I'm going to shoot the next day and I'm not around my cameras. So, uh, but uh, you know, whatever you want to use. So, uh, but uh, so yeah, thanks Paul for the email. Okay, the last thing I want to get to is not really an email so much, but it is a uh, uh, Instagram direct message. And I, I, I talk to a lot of people through Instagram from time to time, and uh, I've had some really good conversations. But uh, uh, Sean Welch uh, hit me up. Uh, he was talking about one of our uh, a, a discussion we had on one of our episodes, and uh, you can find him on Instagram under Sean Welch Photo. That's S E A N for Sean. Sean Welch, W E L C H. And photo is F-O-T-O uh, on Instagram. He says, Hi, Mike. That question you asked at the weekend uh, about whether film photos meant more, perhaps because they were... This was with, oh, this was with Michael Bartosek, I believe it was. Yeah. He says, That question you asked uh, at the weekend about whether film photos meant more, perhaps because they were more hard-won, had me thinking about reasons for having a clear preference for my own film shots. I've realized, just as with music, my desire to get involved in some kind of serious way came from, an came from an appreciation and love for the work of others. I'm a fan of some of the great American color photographers of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, having collected the books and vis visited the exhibitions, I, I felt kind of a kick in the backside to get out of the house with a camera and some vague artistic delusions. <laughs> I find film expensive, messy, time-consuming, and a good deal harder to master than digital photography, but what it lacks in speed and simplicity is more than balanced by, in by the end results. To me, the film pictures mean more because they have an extra layer. Literally, they are, a f uh, they are physical, and it's like seeing the world through that layer. So on top of what's photographed, the film itself is also the subject. Change the film stock and you partly change the subject. It's almost a collaboration. The composition plus a sprinkling of Kodak magic. With digital, it feels much closer to plain reality. It misses the harmony that film brings to make it look uh, how a photo should look. Of course, with a lot of skill in digital uh, post-processing, it's possible to get close, but I don't think the technology is quite there yet to accurately replicate the magic. If and when it gets there, I would be happy to mix it up more with digital. But right now, the real deal feels more satisfying. Plus, when you're partner partnering with a medium as quirky as film, every now and then you get those weird surprises that are often a major upgrade on anything you would have accomplished working alone. And that's from Sean Welch. And I, I, that's a great uh, message, Sean. And uh, I, I, I completely agree, uh, agree with everything he said there. And uh, I think some of the... Uh, <clears throat> my, favorite film moments have been the, the weird surprises you get sometimes with uh, uh, sometimes things happen that you didn't plan and, uh, and that's kind of the fun and, and surprise and some of my best shots came out of uh, what I thought was a mistake or something just 
getting a little weird, getting a little wacky on me. So, uh, okay, I think that's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that's pretty much it for the uh, the kind of the emails and messages I've received over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I am going to take a break and figure out what the next call and camera review is going to be. So we'll put that in the second segment. So uh, we'll take a break and I'll be right back, folks. folks we're back from the break and we're gonna do a call-in camera review this is what we like to do on these solo shows and uh, this one we can coming from James Lee from the classic camera revival James was one of the uh, one of uh, the members of our uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, roundtable discussion that we tried for the first time this last weekend on the uh, negative positives podcast and so something we're gonna be trying to do like once a month uh, kind of have a roundtable discussion with people that have been on the show before and so uh, it was a lot of fun. Hope, hope everybody enjoyed that. I think it's uh, got to get some good positive feedback on that. So definitely something we're going to try to experiment more with in the future. Uh, but let's listen to James Lee from the Classic Camera Revival uh, talking about, it seems, one of his favorite cameras from the sound of this review. It's about the Nikon F6. So let's check out James Lee, Nikon F6, call-in camera review. Hey everybody, James Lee from the Classic Camera Revival here. I am uh, uh, answering Mike's call for more call-in camera reviews. So I'm calling in with my first one. Hopefully I don't mess it up too much. Um, I want to talk to you today about a camera that's really special to me, and that is the Nikon F6. In fact, um, I was able to purchase the last production F6 ever imported into Canada from Nikon Canada. I actually um, was fortunate enough uh, last year to buy the last one collecting dust on the shelf at the main warehouse uh, just west of Toronto. So that's um, my little really cool story about that. But uh, on to the camera. I think um, uh, the F6 is such an interesting, uh, cool camera. It's got a really cool history, um, and I think it may very well be the last bastion of the modern film SLR. In 2004, uh, Nikon announced um, the F6 at Photokina, and it really surprised a lot of people uh, because it was really around that time of kind of the uh, the sort of exponential growth or sort of uh, digital 2.0 in the digital SLR era uh, with the whole Nikon D2 body, so the D2 digital and the D2X, the two precursors uh, to the D3, which is an incredible digital camera. Uh, the F6, of course, is a very interesting beast, um, and in comparison to the F5, a lot of the features and developments in R&D that went into the F5 uh, made its way into the F6. In fact, uh, the, the shutter and transport mechanism are essentially the same design from the F5 uh, that got shoehorned into the digital series body, and of course a lot of those things got uh, migrated into the F6 as well. The F6, of course, is uh, being the Cadillac of film SLRs, uh, or one of them, uh, comes fully loaded. It can imprint your data on your film, has an interval amometer, um, if I'm saying that correctly, and that's just a function that actually um, takes uh, frames on a, on a set sequence. So, uh, for example, if you're doing uh, some type of time-lapse, um, or perhaps some kind of laboratory work or something like that, it can um, take photos uh, uh, of whatever your subject is unattended uh, over a specific period of time. So that's really kind of cool as well. Uh, one of the drawbacks of the F5 was you couldn't use pre-AI lenses. Um, you can use pre-AI lenses um, with... Uh, uh, with the F6, Nikon did actually offer an upgrade or modification to your F6 body um, to to do that, and that would allow you to use uh, matrix metering and flash with manual with all manual focus lenses. Um, but however, I think the uh, uh, some of the pre-AI lenses needed to be converted; otherwise, it would be stop-down metering. Uh, 
it had the latest in flash technology as well. In comparison to the F5, which has a one three hundredth of a second uh, flash sync, the um, uh, F6 is um, uh, one two fiftieth, surprisingly slower, but there's a little bit of a catch to that as well. If you use um, a model flash or spe a Nikon Speedlight um, greater than SB800, so either an SB800 or an SB900 or an SB910, you can utilize the electronic um, ITTL functionality that will allow you to use flash um, in TTL mode uh, up to one eight thousandth of a second. So that's pretty incredible. If you've got, uh, if you're a fan of uh, very uh, wide, uh, fast lenses like myself, I'm a big fan of the Nikon 85-1.4. So shooting that with um, fill flash um, in the middle of the day, um, I spent years as a as a wedding and portrait shooter. So for me, that was a really cool and helpful. Uh, thing to have in the digital world and it's nice that that's available in the film world as well so you can sync up to one eight thousandth of a second use fill flash and still have your lenses blazingly wide open so that's that's pretty cool and um, you know it is also compatible with the Nikon CLS or the creative lighting system uh, which is a really really cool lighting system um, not to disparage any Canon users but that's one of the big reasons for me personally why I'm such a big Nikon fanboy is I really love the features and functionality and the ease of use that you get out of that Nikon creative lighting system. Um, I really recommend that um, um, anyone interested in learning about that um, uh, you know, look up the Nikon CLS. There's lots of books about it. It's really, really cool um, and you can be really creative with your photography with it. Um, as I mentioned before, it has the same shutter design as the F5 um, and uh, film transport, which is really, really cool. To take full advantage of it, get yourself an SB800, SB900, SB910. Uh, the metering on this camera is second to none. If you shoot um, uh, slide film, um, you know, you want to nail your exposures. The, the matrix metering uh, uses um, a 1,005 um, element uh, color sensor in the viewfinder. It has all like incredible uh, uh, TTL algorithms that were tweaked and continue to be tweaked over the previous bodies. Uh, the flash metering with a CLS type flash, either the 600, 800, 900, 910, all of those things um, will work. Um, one thing that's different than the uh, other um, uh, previous models to this camera is the viewfinder um, is, uh, or the like the the glass and, and the viewing screen is not removable. You can't, you know, choose like an a, a B screen or all the various like 17 different types of screens that Nikon had for their different bodies. Um, but I don't think you really need it with this camera. Um, I find the viewing screen like you know, it's just fine for me. I, I couldn't imagine anybody nitpicking it too much. Uh, the autofocus system is incredible. So if you shoot sports with film, fast action, fast moving event photography, um, the uh, autofocus system launched the new Cam 2000 module, uh, which is similar to the F5. It had 11 sensors, um, nine of them cross-hatched. Um, uh, rather than the uh, 1300 series that had five sensors and three of them cross-hatched, the F6 autofocus is blazingly, blazingly, blazingly fast. Uh, one of the other cool features, not a necessary thing, Nikon launched um, a flashcard reader. Um, it's called an MV1, complete waste of money, I think. It really just stored EXIF data, or quote-unquote EXIF data for film, so you would... Um, attach this thing to your camera, it would record it, you'd download it on a, on a compact flash card, and then you'd get some text file out of it that would give you all the data for each frame that you shot. Um, but it actually does record that um, through an infrared um, system uh, on the margin of the uh, frames um, uh, when you're shooting. Uh, that's why no, it. That's why it also eliminated the data back. Um, all of that data imprint stuff, all that stuff is built in. Um, unlike the F5, the F6 does not have a dedicated vertical grip. It's not a 
big, fully integrated sort of pro body. It's a modular body, and it uh, does come uh, with, you can get um, uh, an additional vertical grip for it. I actually bought the last vertical grip when I took a trip to New York right after I bought this camera from Adorama, so that was kind of cool. I kind of locked down on both the body and the actual vertical grip. So um, full set of command dials. So if you do, if you are in the Nikon digital um, SLR market, uh, it's basically the very same command dial system that all of the digital bodies use. Um, unlike the F5, the F6 uh, without the vertical grip does not take um, uh, AA batteries, the eight AA batteries that the F5 use. So therefore, it does save weight, um, but it is pretty battery hungry um, uh, without the grip. It uses two CR123A batteries. Uh, Nikon says that those batteries will last you um, through 15 rolls of film at normal temperatures. I've never tested it. Um, I've put maybe four rolls, 436 uh, exposure rolls um, on a cold day and I saw my battery bar drop from uh, like full bars to like like four full bars to like two or three bars and then when the temperature warmed up the bars kind of recovered themselves um, but what I do with mine with the vertical grip um, is I uh, I put the eight AA um, lithium batteries in it to just get extra use out of it uh, the you can buy an adapter as well um, that takes the lithium ion um, uh, batteries that the D2 and the D2X cameras took. I believe they were ELEN4s maybe. So if you are looking for any of those today, you probably have to buy some off-brand uh, third-party uh, uh, eBay um, type of uh, uh, battery for it. Um, if you can get one, it's probably the better option to use. But of course, if you buy that, then you got to get the charger as well and all that sort of thing. Uh, one other quirky thing about the camera as well, it gives you a user functional a function button um, that is kind of uh, a product of the digital um, uh, era, and it's kind of weird. Uh, the button actually sits on the right side of the camera, just under the um, the lens mount. Um, and uh, there's a function button on the top and there's a function button at the bottom. The, the bottom one uh, that you can kind of grab with either your middle finger your, or your third finger, um, you can program that to do whatever you want. Maybe you want it to uh, uh, do a, a pre-flash um, or an AF. It does have the AF and AE lock buttons on the back as well, very similar to the digital uh, body layouts as well. Um, but you can customize that function button. If you like, I have mine set for pre-flash, um, and I use that a lot. Um, if I, I shoot a lot of macro uh, with this camera because I have the the RC One uh, C um, uh, lighting kit uh, for this camera, as well as a couple macro lenses, and it's for me. I like to pre-flash or pre-expose, uh, set my flash exposure if I'm using those flashes, so I'm not burning up uh, uh, frames accidentally. Especially, I like to shoot uh, macro. Um, on slide film, so that's very helpful as well. Uh, the F6, um, uh, very much like uh, the F5 as well, um, has both uh, continuous low mode and continuous high mode. As of course, the um, uh, the uh, 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 single shot um, uh, uh, shooting mode as well too. Um, it has mirror lockup. I don't believe the F5. Um, uh, uh, mirror lockup uh, um, is is quite as convenient to access as the mirror lockup on uh, on the F6, um, but um, I like it and uh, it's really really good. Um, one of the really cool things about the F6 as well that's say that's such a pain in the butt for me is you know you have a, a camera with a built-in motor wind or something like that. Uh, you know, when you when it rewinds the cartridge, it pulls the leader all the way in. You got to fish it out, or you got to pop the the uh, the canister open. Uh, really cool thing about the F6 is you can um, uh, program it so the uh, leader stays out. So you can just you know uh, pull the leader out um, uh, and then put it in your black bag, load your reels, etc., and not have to pop the canister. It's really cool if you load your um, uh, uh, film in uh, uh, in bulk 
uh, loaders as well you can save those canisters and just you know cut a little extra bit of the tab off I like to reuse canisters um, because I'm not a big fan of the plastic uh, uh, canisters anyway so it's nice to be able to reuse those um, uh, in terms of usability and handling um, compared to the F5 which was a beast in its own right uh, I really think the F5 really had a hater following and a lover following. Um, it wasn't uh, for everyone. I really liked it because I like the feel of beefy cameras. Um, and I really do prefer the F6 um, without the vertical grip. Uh, I do generally leave the vertical grip at home if I'm traveling with it. I like doing vacation photography or something like that. Um, the camera without the grip uh, does fit nicely into small hands as well. Um, uh, the thing about Nikon for me, what speaks to me is, it's a. I really consider Nikon's ergonomics as a photographer's camera, um, and all the buttons, all the controls to me are in the right place. The AE autofocus lock buttons, um, autofocus activation buttons are just you know right at the back where your thumb is. The um, the wheel for adjusting shutter speed on at your thumb is right there. The uh, aperture setting at your index finger for me is perfect. I just I'm just used to it, and I that's what I've always loved about um, Nikon cameras. Um, uh, exposure compensation is easy to use as well too. Um, you know, it's just you know it's it's very very simple. Exposure comp, you hold down the exposure comp button and you turn the thumb wheel in the back and you can quickly adjust exposure um, and you can do it all while looking through the viewfinder. So overall, I think the handling kind of for me has everything that you need. Um, I can find what I need to change quickly. Um, you know, when I'm, I have so many cameras, but when I'm using, I use this one a lot. So, um, it just feels right. And I can control things without, without having to look at the body, without having to talk to the camera saying, Hey, where's your whatever button? Um, you know, uh, and it just kind of, uh, it, I guess I've developed a little bit of muscle memory there, but, um, uh, I think it's all there. Uh, the battery life without the vertical grip is a bit of an issue. Um, it has a, you know, a, a digital, like an SL, LCD screen at the back, um, you know, that tells you different settings and, you know, frame counts and things like that, Ex ISO exposure. Of course, it has, um, um, it will go as, the ISO will go as low as only 100, interestingly enough. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It goes to ISO 6 um, and then... DX as well, and then the highest ISO is 6400, um, which I guess is normal for the uh, the film era. Uh, as far as exposure, you it's so difficult to fool this meter. Like it's just the ideal camera for um, shooting uh, slide film. It handles really tough situations, extreme contrast. Uh, framing. Um, it does it a little bit better than the F5, I believe. And one of the cool things about the F6 is it adjusts for color tonality. So if it sees, you know, colors have uh, different brightness, different temperatures, colors always fool meters. And the F6 has got some algorithms and programming in there to handle that. Uh, so therefore, one of the things I recommend if when I shoot black and white, um, with my F6, I never shoot it in matrix metering mode because um, I believe the matrix metering mode, and that's kind of a general rule for me, any camera that has matrix metering, like a modern film camera, um, I only use matrix metering uh, when I am shooting uh, color films uh, and I switch to center weighted or spot if I'm shooting black and white because black and white is all about... Um, um, light value without interpreting any color um, and then matrix metering generally in, interprets color in your scene so we can throw off uh, the exposure for uh, black and white films uh, resulting in reduced contrast, uh, contrast as well. Um, I mentioned the autofocus before I just want to mention um, a little bit better layout of the autofocus sensors than the F5 um, uh, is found in the F6. Um, they are not as um, uh, clustered together and there are more um, focus spots in the F5, uh, pardon me, in the F6. However, if you were to compare an F6 to today's, you know, 
newer uh, DSLRs like a D850, uh, D5, D4, D4S, etc. You know where you've got 51 uh, focus points. Um, you're not going to get that. You're going to have 11 in, in this camera. But of course, you know you're talking. Uh, you know what's now almost 15 years ago. So uh, you know things have come a long way. Um, you know a lot of people will substitute or say, "Oh, I'd rather have an F100 in spite of an in, in an F6." And people that say that, um, you know, I've never shot an F6. Uh, more than likely, I think I've shot both of them. Um, you know, the F100 is a great camera, but it is not an F6. It's also not an F5, um, and because of that, there's some drawbacks to the F6, and uh, it's expensive. Um, it is not a cheap camera. Uh, the body alone, I paid um, just over $2,100 Canadian, brand new, full warranty, right out of, you know, from an authorized Nikon dealer who gave me a discount, um, and the battery grip is about $350 US, if you can still find one today. Um, it's still uh, a heavy camera. It's a smaller form factor, but there's a lot of stuff going on in that camera. Uh, the weight didn't come down as much as you'd expect com in comparison to the F5. Uh, you know, uh, other thing as well is the CR123A batteries without the grip. You know, they're you know, they're, they're not like everywhere, right? Like, you know, you had, you can't just be at a corner store and say, Hey, uh, do you have any CR 123s? More than likely, um, you know, you'd have to go to a fairly well-stocked drugstore or a camera shop, um, or electronics store to get those cameras. They're not rare by any means, but you know, it's not like, Hey, my battery's dead and I can pop over to the corner store and, you know, get a, a cab, uh, you know, four or eight, double uh, A batteries. Um, uh, uh, and that sort of thing. So there are a little bit of drawbacks to it, but um, you know what? If you are a fan of a modern film SLR, the F6 is a terrific piece of equipment. I um, would definitely recommend uh, anyone um, interested in uh, uh, in one of these uh, cameras, uh, go try one out. If you can rent one, if you know somebody that's got one, borrow one. But be warned, once you shoot this camera, you're not going to want to put it down. It's an amazing piece of equipment. Thanks so much to listening for listening to my rambles today. And uh, get out there and stay positive and shoot some cool film photos. Thanks a lot, everyone. Well, thank you, James Lee, so much for the call-in camera review for the Nikon F6. And, uh, you know, we got quite a few uh, call-in camera reviews uh, that have come in since I kind of made the call-out for call-ins. And I thank you guys so much for that, everyone that sent those in. And if you haven't sent any sort of call-ins, what are you doing here? Like, get off your butts, you know? Get your voice heard. It doesn't even have to be a, a camera review. You can talk about anything you want to talk about. And a project you're doing, uh, something you found out, a developing experience, or anything you want to talk about in film photography, you can send it in. It's so easy to do. Just grab your phone. Turn on your voice recorder on your phone. And most phones have a voice recording feature. Record it, you talking in your phone, and uh, send it to the, the email address, negpositives at gmail.com. Get your voice heard. Get off your butts and send them in and just, you know, yeah, you can you can even call in and bitch and moan about something. We're fine. We're fine with it. It'll get played and uh, you can get your voice heard. Um, matter of fact, I think Junior Wyatt will be sending in one soon. I'm, I'm holding you to this, Junior, about he uh, recently shot Double X, uh, the Kodak. Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, gosh, I can't even think of the number of it now. Why can't I think of that? It's like one of my favorite films. 22 something. <laughs> 5222. There it is. Double X. Uh, Eastman Double X. Uh, Junior shot his first, uh, has his first experience with that, and I think he's going to be sending in a, a film, call in film review. So, uh, another uh, another thing you can do, just uh, all you got to do is uh, just stop being, uh, uh, you know, get off your butts and uh, send some call ins. Uh, they'll eventually make it on the show, absolutely. Uh, I play them in the order we get them, pretty much. So, uh, Anyway, uh, thanks for those that have sent those in, and uh, it's, I think it's just a fun part of the show. It's a way to get your voice heard on, uh, on the show, and uh, even if you uh, haven't become a guest quite yet, which we want to get most of you guys on as a guest, it's a way to get your voice on before we can get around to scheduling you to come on this show. So, uh, easy, easy peasy. So, okay, we're going to take, uh, I'm going to take one more break here and come back for the final segment. So, we'll take a break and be right back, folks.
right, folks, we're back for the final segment, and there's something I've been meaning to get to on a solo show, one of my solo shows for quite some time. Uh, Ian Barnaby Nuts, uh, uh, Ian Barnaby Nut, not Nuts. <laughs> Ian Barnaby Nut sent me uh, a really nice package of like five of his zines, and these zines are incredible. And uh, uh, I've been kind of wanting to go through them and do a solo show, kind of talking about each one of them. And he even sent me like a, a pretty a long write-up of, about each zine, how he made it, a little bit about each one, the, the topics, the formats, and the equipment used and all that stuff. Uh, I'm not going to go into all that here because I think uh, Ian and I have talked about possibly getting him on uh, the show in the near future. So uh, I kind of want to save that if we can get him on as a guest And because uh, I think uh, I really want to dive deep uh, deeper into some of these. and. If I did this now, this solo show, which, uh, which is supposed to be short, is going to be even longer, and it's already long. But uh, uh, he did say he sent me like he sent me five zines and a, a really awesome print as well. Uh, uh, looks like a classic, almost a movie scene of a guy in a in a in a car uh, with his face kind of lit up. A nice black and white print, or old classic looking car. Uh, really awesome photo. Uh, but these zines are amazing. And uh, Ian, thank you so much. For these, uh, I've looked through them a, tons of times and, and gotten plenty of uh, inspiration and motivation uh, from looking at these things. If you guys have not checked out uh, Ian Barnaby Nuts uh, zines, uh, I definitely recommend checking them out. Uh, they are uh, superb stuff. But uh, also, he wrote in this uh, kind of letter to me about uh, these zines. Uh, he says, uh, Anyway, I'm sending you these for two reasons. One, by way of payment and kind for the entertainment you bring through the podcast. I know it isn't work for you. You're having too much. You're having way too much fun. <laughs> That's true. And now the Facebook group. But also because I hope that they'll inspire you to put another zine together yourself. Whether it's the ideal we chatted briefly about last year, a collection of your pictures from Florida before the storm, or something else, we should all print our stuff. And doing that in book or zine form brings a whole load of new challenges. Working out sequencing, what pictures need cutting because they don't add to the story, and even what paper stock or cover you're going to use are all questions that will make us think more about your pictures, we, uh, about the pictures we take in our wider uh, photographic practice. And these are cheap and simple things to do. Even if it's 10 copies of something, just to work through the process, it'll, it'll still be a really special moment when you open that box that's been delivered from the printer. Enough for now. Keep up the tremendous work. And if Andre ever lets you down and I can help you out, give me a shout. <laughs> uh, Ian. And he is uh, at barnabynut.com. That is B-A-R-N-A-B-Y-N-U-T-T.com. On Twitter, he is also Barnaby Nut. Uh, he also says, P.S. I met Andre for breakfast last year in Dublin. He was on his way home from Photokina and had been talking nothing but film photography for four days straight. He was on a massive high and a bundle of analog energy. Hearing his snoring performance was even funnier for me. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ian, for these zines. Again, like they are amazing. And if you folks haven't picked up uh, any of his zines, I definitely recommend checking them out. Uh, ex extremely expiring stuff. And hopefully we'll be able to uh, dive deeper into his process and, and, and some of these zines if uh, we can work out this kind of time period uh, when uh, we think we might be able to find a, uh, a, time, a time zone situation where we can make a recording happen, but uh, we're, we're working it out. Hopefully we can make that happen. So uh, Ian, thank you so much and, and definitely hope I can get you on the show. And uh, if something happens, we don't get you on the show. I'm going to have to have you do some call-in camera reviews about this, uh, about some zines, about your zines, your process. So maybe we can do that if, if nothing else. So, uh, all right. And speaking of, he mentioned, let me put these away here. Uh, he mentioned my Florida uh, trip, uh, my Florida photos that I kind of wanted to make a zine out of uh, or some sort of project with uh, Mexico Beach before the, the hurricane destroyed that town. And I mentioned uh, on previous podcasts that I was going to actually found a place to stay in Mexico Beach and I was going to be able to go back there and hopefully sort of document uh, the rebuilding of that. Well, a, a bit of bad news kind of came in, in a way. Uh, the realty company we rented from reached out to me a week or so ago and said the place that we rented, uh, the contractor that is uh, fixing the, the building said it's not going to be ready in time. So they had to put me in a different location. And that location is close to Mexico Beach, but it's not Mexico Beach. It's uh, a place called uh, Cape, San, Cape San Blas is what they call it. And uh, uh, so 
we're not really going to be staying in Mexico Beach. We're probably a half hour away from it, sort of. Uh, actually, when you're on Mexico Beach, if you're on the beach looking at the ocean, you can see Cape San Blas in the distance. It kind of juts out in front of Mexico Beach. Uh, so it's going to be a little more difficult for me to get photos of Mexico Beach. The only way I can see doing it is uh, if I want to try to document the rebuilding of that of that town, I'm going to have to get up crazy at the butt crack of dawn before everybody else gets up and, and take a half-hour drive or so into Mexico Beach to do those photos, which I, I certainly plan on doing. But it's not going to be as easy as I originally thought because the first place we had scheduled to, uh, the first place we had rented was right there in kind of the heart of it all. So it's not going to be just walking out my uh, condo uh, door and being in Mexico Beach. I'm going to have to take a little drive to, to do it now. Uh, but it does give me a new area to shoot because I've never stayed on the Cape. So uh, it'll be uh, some, some maybe some new photography will uh, inspire me there. And the Cape got hit pretty hard too. So uh, that whole area has pretty much uh, got hit by that hurricane. So, uh, but, so it'll be interesting to see what... What, I, what inspires me just by being in a new location for once and also, you know, how much time I get to drive to the actual proper Mexico Beach area and see what I can do. But it's something I, I, I definitely have plans and I'm motivated to do, but it's just going to mean uh, maybe a little less bourbon in the evening and uh, so I can get up early and uh, get out there to Mexico Beach. Uh, take that drive and uh, come back by the time the, the family gets up to spend the day with them. But uh, it's a little bit disappointing, but kind of the kind of, I guess the good thing about it is the place they set us up uh, at in the Cape is about a thousand dollars more than the place we were staying. And they didn't charge us that extra thousand dollars. They gave it to us for the price of the original place. So we're getting a pretty, pretty fancy place for, for the money that uh, for the original money we spent on the location of Mexico beach. So I guess there's a, a little bit of a blessing there. So, we're staying in a, a something that we probably could never afford uh, <laughs> in the past, so uh, we get to uh, stay in a, a pretty nice beach house. So, uh, but anyway, uh, that's kind of wanted to get out with that. But <clears throat> also, um, I don't know if I've given enough props to to this podcast uh, that's out. Um, I know I've mentioned it when it first started, but uh, Leo Nikishin, uh, the Ten Rows of Film podcast. Uh, I don't know if we've really talked a whole lot about it on the show. Uh, I was using Podbean for my podcast uh, app to, you know, listen to, download and listen to all my podcasts on it. And I've had trouble with Podbean in the last couple of months where it's not downloading new episodes from podcasts that I listen to and follow and just kind of got fed up with it. So I've went back to uh, Apple podcast app uh, just on my iPhone because I have an iPhone. And uh, I noticed that his 10 rows of film podcast on my Podbean app only had like one episode. And it never downloaded any new ones. So I, I didn't know if maybe he'd kind of dropped the idea of a podcast or, or whatever. But then once I went back to using Apple Podcasting, I noticed he had like a whole lot more episodes <laughs> that I hadn't heard yet. Because uh, my Podbean, for whatever reason, wasn't wasn't downloading them. I wasn't, wasn't staying up to date on it. So that's one reason why I'm, I'm dumping Podbean, because I'm tired of that. But uh, So I've been kind of catching up with that. And uh, Leo, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't uh, didn't realize you were still pumping them out, and uh, because my Podbean was kind of screwing up. So now that I'm back to using Apple Podcast app, uh, I can stay uh, up up uh, stay up on your on your podcast. So uh, sorry if we haven't mentioned it as much as we probably should have in the past. That's uh, very good episode, uh, very good episodes, and uh, uh, it's nice to uh, have another member of the community that's out there putting up a really good podcast and. Uh, so now I can stay up with it now that I'm on a, a back using Apple podcast. So uh, anyway, so I just want to get that out there and uh, give Leo the proper props. So check out his podcast, 10 Rows of Film, if you haven't already uh, checked that out. So, OK, we're going to wrap this one up. I know it's been a long midweek episode, but it happens. You know, it is what it is. But um, I make no apologies. <laughs> Maybe I do. I'm sorry. <laughs> but. Uh, anyway, you can check out my photography uh, on Instagram at Gutterman Photo, on Facebook at Mike Gutterman Photography. You can join the Facebook group, The Negative Positives Film Photography Podcast. Facebook group now over 3,500 members strong. Uh, you can email this program at negpositives at gmail.com. And also follow this program on Instagram under the account Negative Positives, mostly ran by a friend of the show, Mr. Bryce Randall. If you submit photos to uh, Instagram, think about using the hashtag Negative Positives. And if Bryce uh, sees it, he may highlight it on the Negative Positives Instagram account. Okay, so everybody enjoy the rest of your week. 
And uh, I believe we have Ed Conde coming on this Sunday. So uh, I haven't I haven't verified that, but Ed, I need to I'm going to hit you up. See, so make sure you're make sure you're coming on. So, but uh, as of Monday night when I'm recording this, I have not verified it. But I think Edward Conde is the next guest uh, for the Sunday show. So uh, looking forward to that. But everybody have a great rest of your week. Uh, everybody stay positive. Shoot some cool film photos. Whoa, 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 Wait a minute, wait a minute. I forgot. Uh, of course I forgot something. So this, this is becoming a habit now. But <clears throat> I just wanted to mention, uh, uh, I wanted to thank uh, Bill Manning uh, from Studio C41. One Hour Photo uh, has had, he had Andre and I on for an episode. And that is already out and live. So if you want to check that out, uh, definitely check out the Studio C41 One Hour Photo podcast uh, where... Andre Dominguez and I were uh, asked on to, as guests from uh, Mr. Bill Manning. It was a lot of fun, and thank you, Bill, so much for having us on the show. And we have Bill scheduled to come on sometime in, uh, I believe, July. So uh, we will be, uh, uh, that'll be very fun. So just wanted to get that out there. If you haven't checked that out, it's already live. By, it's been live several days, probably by the time this comes out. But yeah, uh, if you want to hear Andre and I on Studio C41 One Hour Photo Podcast, it's out there. Check it out. And it was a, it was a really, it was a blast to talk to Bill. So I get to, I feel like I already know him uh, from listening to him for uh, so many episodes. But it was, uh, so it was very, it was weird to kind of have a conversation with somebody you feel like you already know them. And and it was actually the first time we've ever talked, uh, sort of face to face. We did it through uh, Skype. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, check that out if you like. So and thanks to Bill Manning for having us on. So, uh, all right, now this this definitely is the end. So everybody stay positive. Shoot some cool film photos. Gutter Man Cave Production!